0: Loving Liberty Network is excited to present Ask an Immigrant, a weekly radio show by Lydia Wallace Nuttle and immigrants from all over the world who share their personal stories as to why they came to America. Lydia is the author of Forgotten American Stories, celebrating America's Constitution, and an executive board member for We the Kids, with the mission to put God back into America's history and to inspire kids to value liberty and our United States Constitution and to be proud to be Americans. Good morning, good morning, or afternoon or evening, whenever you're listening to this podcast. I am Lydia Nettle, welcome to Ask an Immigrant. It's dedicated, we are dedicated to helping us and our rising generation to value, have gratitude for and appreciation for what we have here in America. I love America and you can love America too. And today we have with a special guest, his name is Fergus. Fergus Hodgson, Hod, is it Hodgson? Yes. Fergus Hodgson is with us today. And Fergus, why don't you tell us what country you're from?
1: New Zealand. I was born there in 1983, and I, I came here first about 20 years ago.
0: 20 years ago. And now you reside in Colorado, right?
1: Yes, correct. So in Fort Collins, which is a bit north of Denver and close to Wyoming.
0: So, Fergus, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, Especially, I love knowing that you write, uh, sometimes you write columns for um, a certain newspaper. You want to tell us a little bit about that and what else you do?
1: Sure, Lydia. Thank you for having me on and for having this show, its theme is important to me and I I, I just believe that you're doing noble work. So in terms of my own story, I'm basically a financial and economic editor, writer, podcaster, and soon to be author. I've got a few books in the works and I have been also an advocate for laissez-faire capitalism or individual liberty for all of my adult life basically and so I've lived in various countries, but more recently, uh, in the last couple of years, I came to the conclusion that the United States was the place where I really wanted to put down roots and become a better part of the community.
0: And you said you've been here for 20 years. Um, well, I was... yeah,
1: that's, it's, it's tough to, 20 years is just when I first came to visit. I've been okay. in and out of the country many times. So, I mean, about a dozen years actually living in the, in the United States.
0: And I, um, so audience, I got to learn a little bit more about Fergus through a newspaper article that he wrote. And you mentioned in that article that you got your green card. Recently. Yeah, so I, I
1: just, yeah, I just got my green card. Ironic part of the diversity visa program. And so that was, I think, in late October that came through.
0: Well, congratulations on that. <clears throat> <laughs> that is a big it was deal. Not an, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it just allows a man to plan better for the future. In the past, I would always be coming in and out on student or work visas, and it was a headache. And it just, it just got in the way of just being at home or at peace in the United States.
0: And also you mentioned that you've got citizenship, of, obviously you've got citizenship in New Zealand, because that's where you're born. Yes. But something about Canada also, and Ireland?
1: Yeah, so my grandparents on my mother's side were born in Ireland, and uh, they actually mo- they were working in England and moved to Canada for better prospects. This is back in the 1950s, and my mother was their firstborn child in Canada. She was born on an Indian reserve in northern British Columbia. So, yeah, wow. she was. She gave me Canadian citizenship, and my grandparents gave me Irish citizenship. And she then, when she was 19, married my father and moved to New Zealand.
0: Wow, that's quite... You've got roots kind of all over, don't yeah. you? And then yeah, you speak Spanish. How did Spanish get in there?
1: Yeah, well... It's, uh, gosh, that's a tough question, but I picked up Spanish in La Calle, so that means in, on the street or in just conversations, and I didn't necessarily have many formal uh, lessons or anything like that, but about, I'm trying to think now, maybe 2009, 2010, I was concerned with the Western world, and I thought maybe I should explore other options for living, and I looked at moving to Chile. In Latin America, which is the most economically free, Chile is the most economic free, economically free country in Latin America. And so I just bought a one-way ticket to Colombia and bus through Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, and then finally Chile. And since then, without really planning it, Latin America became a, a big part of my life. I became an, a specialist in it. And I, I wrote about it. I, I became editor of a publication devoted to Latin America. But in the end, I decided that it wasn't really my home. And Latin America has profound problems that we can discuss on the show if you'd like. But it's, it's a, it's, it could be a topic of its own.
0: So you've lived that... Okay, mm-hmm. so you were born in New Zealand. Um... Mm-hmm did you live somewhere else between New Zealand and when you were really, really brave and went to Chile on a one-way ticket?
1: <laughs> no, no. So when I, the story is just that, I, yeah, I, I was just like most people in New Zealand. i born there, grew up there. I went to high school there. I started university there, but I was basically bored with that. And my uncle had received an athletic scholarship to come to the United States many years before And so my mother thought I could do the same. And I looked at opportunities to come to the United States and many universities offered scholarships or were interested in recruiting me to come as an athlete. So I was a rower. And in 2002, I came for my first visit and I went to Boston to the head of the Charles Rowing Regatta and got to meet many coaches there. And in the end, I, I opted to accept an offer to Boston University in two, and in 2003, I came to begin my undergraduate studies there.
0: Wow. And then so was Chile after this?
1: I never lived in Chile. I only just visited.
0: It was oh, my plan to
1: to go and live in Latin America. But at that time, this, was, this so this is many years later, at that time, because I would returned to New Zealand after studies, but I... Been four months traveling through latin america and there just wasn't really work opportunity opportunity available so in 2010 i got I accepted a job in louisiana actually as a journalist and editor
0: wow okay so um have there been i just think it's amazing and i and i want to get to this um and maybe this is the time to ask tell yeah. me then based on your experiences in New Zealand and then America, and then four months traveling around Latin America. Were there any other countries that you also uh, went to, experienced, you mentioned yeah, Canada, etc.
1: Yeah. Yeah, after college, so I, I, so I finished at Boston, I went back and I studied in New Zealand as well and tried to make the 2008 Olympic team, the rowing team. Wow. But when that did not work out, I went to Canada where I had citizenship and I worked there with a think tank in Halifax out of Nova Scotia. And then when that did not pan out, I, I started working in the United States, basically. But in, terms, in, in addition, I did live about a year, or a bit more than a year in Argentina and almost two years in Guatemala. I lived about half a year in Ireland So I really went and explored, and I went to many other countries just visiting. So at the time, I felt very restrained by just the idea of citizenship and being committed to one nation, because I felt like the government of New Zealand was taken over by feminists and socialists, and I thought they had um, in some way stolen my country. And I wanted to explore other options, and so I even had... in the, about a decade ago, I had a radio show about living internationally called The Stateless Man. And I became not as much as many people, but almost like a digital nomad, someone who makes money online and explores. And there's, mm-hmm. there's a growing community of people who live like that. I don't recommend it, but it is a, it is a growing <laughs> way of life that many people have. And because it's much more viable now, you know, the internet has made that kind of living much more uh, feasible than it was, even when I started 10 years ago. It's, it's way easier now.
0: So because you've had this experience living in various countries, uh, hmm. more than more than even myself, um, and, and I've, I've traveled a lot, but I've never lived in certain areas for any length of time, I'm just traveled there, sure. stayed experienced and went back home. So why then did you choose America to come to, out of all those countries that you experienced?
1: Yeah. <clears throat> Not everyone would choose the United States for living, but in in my mind there are, and and you and I we both know there are serious challenges with the United States and her future. But the there were two fundamental reasons why I decided the United States was a better place to be for the long long haul, to make a home. One was that there is still, and this is it's a remnant, but there is still a constituency of people here who have a stronger sense of self-rule, of personal sovereignty. So they believe in natural rights, life, liberty and property, which were the fundamental basis for the existence of the United States. And that manifests in many ways, but as I noted in my Epoch Times article, the two most, let's say, distinctly American values that still resonate today are gun rights or the right to self-defense or to bear arms and free speech. And my assess- in my view, you will not find a country on the planet where the people have such a compelling or strong view to defend those rights and then the the second reason was just that economically and this is this is where the United States is really an outlier the United States performs much better economically than peer nations so even though the United States is a very large country which is harder to govern you would do basically twice as well in terms of income here versus Canada, Australia, the United Kingdom, Germany, France, and probably more than twice as well than in New Zealand. So on the one hand, you have a constituency of people who have a stronger sense for standing up for themselves, and then you have the better economic outcomes, which are the fruits of that, to be frank.
0: That's interesting how you connected the two of those together.
1: Yeah, because people who have a peasant mentality and want mama government to take care of them all the time are never going to be innovative, dynamic, productive. They're not going to have the same um, productivity as uh, people who really take responsibility for themselves.
0: I love that. That's a really, that is a huge gold nugget um, that I don't think I would have connected. So thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that um can we talk a little bit about gun rights and why you feel the gun rights are important because i know that's a huge um there there's a lot of divisiveness in america uh, over gun rights um, a movement to try to take gun rights away um, to try to portray gun rights as uh, dangerous that we should have guns because, you know, name a whole bunch of, of reasons, but what is it that you see are, is important about gun rights?
1: Sure. That's, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a, an important question for anyone seeking to understand the United States because there are other countries where let's say that, that are more permissive towards gun ownership like Switzerland and maybe Israel and though those countries have, have gun rights in those instances largely just for, uh, let's say, national defense purposes. The gu- gun rights in the United States are a litmus test or symptom of the, f- the underlying belief that you are your own king. You will defend yourself and nobody, you don't have to rely on anyone else. That sentiment is what sets America apart and because people in pretty much all parts of the world do not understand that, they do not understand the gun rights because they they have no sense of being their own king. And I think that's heartbreaking, but that's the way it is. And so even my own family in New Zealand just do not understand how these crazy Americans want to have their guns. They don't, just people outside the United States, even in the most, Let's say classically liberal or open societies don't have a strong sense for you being able to defend yourself and not relying upon some government apparatus to try to come and save you.
0: It's a mindset difference, then, isn't it? Absolutely, it it's a back, mindset
1: difference.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. And it's, the, like I it's, said, it's, it's, it, gun rights are really just a symptom of a deeper sense of you are your own. You're your own decider. You're the one who will take care of yourself, and you don't have to be dependent on, on, on a ruler.
0: So how did you get to have the mentality that you do Yeah. versus that's, that's what tough. your yeah. parents have? How, how did that—I <laughs> don't know if that's even something that you can uh, trace— or put words to but there's something that happened in your life that was different than for instance your parents or others that have been um, born and raised in it because you were born and raised in it also that mentality but for some reason you saw something clearer and different and higher so to speak of why gun rights are important
1: yes and This is big, actually, this is one reason why shows like yours are so crucial, because if you go to almost anywhere on the planet, and the internet is somewhat changing this, but at least when I was growing up, and even now, as you well know, 99% of media outlets and journalists around the world are left-wing or anti-American, however you want to characterize it. Whenever you hear about the United States abroad, you hear a distorted or confused view, a straw man presentation. And so what you'll hear is basically a condemnation or a belittling of the United States without really addressing the root reason or without understanding why the United States is different. And I am aware that I too did not understand the United States when I came here. And it took a few years of just very intense, research just immersing myself in american history all the great thinkers i mean it was not overnight but gradually i came to understand the united states and unfortunately very few immigrants go through that process that i went through of real immersion in the history uh, and, under- and and even seek to even bother really to understand it and that's why i'm not necessarily pro-immigrant in, in the united states i'm actually very protective of the constituency of people here
0: can you share with us um I, i i find it interesting how you immersed yourself into american history to try to really understand this country that you found yourself living in most of us i would venture to guess anywhere who live in any country um immersing ourselves in history is not that, to me, common of a thing for people to do. And I find it fascinating that you did. And as a result, that sounds to me, what you're trying to say is that's what helped you shift your mindset and open, have, and be able to understand why America is what it is and why we have um, this ideology that permeates, in most of us as americans that we are we are king there isn't a king to rule over us we are the king we rule and we tell those who we've elected in government um, uh, we give them a part of that um, stewardship to them but again we still rule you work for us (laughs) you know it's that kind of mentality but you don't get that just by osmosis, and so my question is: Can, can yeah. you share this? Just if anyone listening is also interested in finding out why do do Americans think the way they think, um, as far as um, politically government, you know, that this this ideology that we are we rule that we the people rule. Um, and not someone else thinking for us and telling us how high to jump or whatever. We do that, we choose, we take responsibility, we assume ownership. Um, What resources would you recommend people to read, study,
1: look at? Yeah, that's a a great question. And, And first, the big challenge is that as you noted, very few people care to do this, right? So most people move for economic reasons, right? There's a better salary, or a lower cost of living, right. or whatever it may be. Or their employer moves them, whatever. Very few people are like me or you, or you know, who really care about, let's say, the political economy or history or values of a nation, and then move there for those those reasons. That's it's not unheard of, but it's a it's a rarity. So, the first, in terms of getting the American ideals or history, go to the American people. Forget all this ridiculous (laughs) legacy or dinosaur or trash or regime media, Hollywood garbage, all this junk that pollutes our minds and pollutes the world and is not America. Get out of MSNBC, CNN, even Fox. I don't, all these mainstream outlets, get out of them and find independent media. The Epoch Times had a fascinating, lengthy article with an interview, with an interview and and discussion of the life of a gentleman who escaped Romania to come to the United States. And that was his Mm -hmm. conclusion. He said, don't believe the mainstream media get out of it because you will only ever hear from them a narrow version of reality, which does not reflect the American people. And that's why, I mean, when Fox began, they originally actually were tapping into that. They realized that all the legacy media was just focused on New York and Washington, D.C. and had no clue about America. And they tapped into that sentiment. And obviously Fox has become part of the problem now,
0: but to a lesser
1: extent, perhaps. But that's why the likes of the Epoch Times offers an alternative. Now, you're not going to get all the wisdom about American history from one source, but For example, they're getting out of the mainstream, also in my mind means getting out of these fake debates between the top Republican and Democratic Party candidates. All this silly, he said, she said, Republican versus Democrat game is a huge distraction from the real challenges or history or values or everything that makes American unique. Mm -hmm. So one of the key ways that I learned about the United States and her problems and, and greatness, both sides, was to watch third party political debates. Back, This was back in the, for the 2004 election. I was recently in the United States, and we in those days you had the Constitution Party, the Libertarian Party, the Green Party. I think even Ralph Nader was maybe in some kind of People's Party or Reform Party, I can't remember. But you had all these independent voices who weren't trying to play some stupid game and they were just speaking, shooting from the hip and describing America, and it was just fascinating to me. And then, obviously, I followed them. So if you want to learn about the, yeah, yeah. so in terms of publications, I I write for and I'm glad to recommend the Epoch Times, which really seeks to meet um, middle America, the real America, And, and that's why the Epoch Times is a print publication, and it is growing. In this era of just, plummeting traditional media. The Epoch Times as a newspaper is actually expanding its reach. I subscribe to them and I recommend others do. If you want to learn about the fundamental economics of the United States, the Mises Institute is a great source, M-I-S-E-S dot org, the Mises Institute. They have incredible commentary and historical, they have great historical works. There's a great, uh, audio series of lectures called crisis in Leviathan, the growth of government in America by Robert Higgs or Bob Higgs, who's a, an, an economist I've met and, and followed for many years. There's really a plethora of sources. You could go to the new American. I mean, there are ma- there are many sources and magazines. If you are, if you are interested in looking, but you have to, like I said, go to the people directly. That's why also I love listening to talk back radio in the United States because you get the people calling in, just any random person can call in, and you get a sense for what Americans believe rather than what they're told to believe.
0: I love that. Wow, that was a plethora of wonderful information right there. I hope everyone had pen and paper and (laughs) noted those down. If not, it's a podcast. (laughs) You can can go back and listen to them all over.
1: mm. There's there are There's two classic right? books. There's another book. There are two classic books that I always recommend people read if they want to understand, understand economics, particularly as it relates to liberty. But one is called The Law by Frederick Bessier and the other is called mm-hmm. Economics in One Lesson. Oh, what's his name right? Now? I've forgotten the author's name right now. But Economics in One Lesson, Henry Hazlitt, and these two are great starting points. I mean, I have almost all these books on my bookshelf. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and one person gave me a copy of the law back in, I think, 20, 2004 or something like that. And that had, it was published by the Foundation for Economic Education. I mean, this book was written 160 years ago, but republished by them. And then I looked into that organization. So, fee, fee.org mm-hmm. is another organization for economics education, although it targets mainly high schooler and younger people.
0: But still, uh that's a great source to go to because I, I love, if you, if you can explain something so that an elementary schooler, a middle schooler, or a high schooler can understand, then you really nailed it. And so sometimes those are the best sources to even read as a grown-up because it will explain it so clearly that even that's, a five-year-old yeah, can understand it.
1: Yeah that's why the dummies guides or the complete idiots guides are so effective. <laughs> and they're, they're also one, one other great source is the politically incorrect guides. So the politically incorrect mm. guide to economics, the politically incorrect guide to the civil war, which was really the war for Southern independence. These books just tell the straight history without, without trying to comport with some kind of fairytale version of reality. And that's to basically, that's the, that's, what we're, that's what people who want to understand America have got to fight against, against this rewriting of history or misrepresentation mm-hmm. of America. And even if you want to look at um, various parts of the U.S. Constitution, now you almost have to dig to find the portions that really make clear that the U.S. government was only supposed to be an extremely limited uh you know institution to support the state and never real a real government of its own
0: so true because back to one of the the golden nugget that, that, that at the beginning of this interview was that it's we the people and if we the people are truly assuming the responsibilities for our own lives um our, uh, our work ethic, our successes, our failures, etc. if we're willing to own all that because we want that freedom to be able to yes. choose our own destiny. Um, then you don't want huge government. You don't want government saying, Hey, you need to get this insurance and you have to get that and you have to go to this school and you have to, go into this industry or, you know, (laughs) in order to do this, you have to pay all these fees in order to, I mean, you want less government. And that's what makes, um, from what I'm understanding from you, that's what enables us as American people to still have that, you know, we we are the king and we want, we don't want more of you in our life. We want less so that we can have the freedom to be able to progress and and pursue happiness.
1: Well, we really have, and I don't know how how far you want me to go with this, but we really have almost a breakdown in the rule of law too, where the federal government of the United States is absolutely beyond any kind of constitutional limit at this point. It is totally violating the 10th amendment. Article one, section eight gave it specific Uh, roles which are extremely limited have nothing to do with things like Social Security or Department of Education or Department of Energy all these things which have are totally unconstitutional and but there's so yeah you're right and, and not only is this federal government beyond its limited or stated grounds it is basically an enemy of tradition of the family of independence it's I just see the the federal government as anti-american
0: Oh that's so sad that hurts ow <laughs> yeah <laughs> it does how- how did we elect among our own selves other Americans that really are anti american how, how 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 did that happen That's a whole nother show yeah sure. sure. <laughs> but um yeah. it is um definitely um a tragedy, and I have um Another question for you, actually two. Um, I wanted to, you mentioned about gun rights and free speech. Mm. Tell us what free speech, from your perspective of having lived in so many countries, um, Mm. what is free speech to you?
1: Sure. Well, free speech has two sides to it. One is that you are not censored or impeded from saying whatever you want. And that, that goes as far as denying the Holocaust or whatever people want to do, it's, it's not of no importance to me. You should be free to say what you want, however controversial. And you know, there are very few limits to that, right? The whole thing of yelling fire in a credit theater, very few limits to free speech, including in unveiling government secrets. Now, then, and the second part is the lack of, let's say, crowding out from government provision of media. So this is a, a subtle but often uh, dangerous side too. So not only does free speech mean not being impeded, it means not also being shouted down or crowded out. So pretty much every country on the planet has state media, including the United States. People don't seem to realize this, but there's this thing called the Broad- Broadcasting Board of Governors, and this is a totally unconstitutional government media uh, sham in the United States, which spends about a billion dollars a year just feeding government pathetic media. But when you have, especially in places like Canada, New Zealand, UK, Ireland, you have these, and in Australia, they've got the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, you have these state media giants, which just get huge taxpayer funding and crowd out the capacity for independent media to survive and have an audience. So in Canada, the BB, the CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation gets a billion dollars per year. And if you're starting a media outlet, how can you compete with that?
0: How can you compete
1: with this monstrosity, which just pumps absolute garbage and promotes fear and all this just stupidity in favor of Ottawa. So it just crowds out. And then in addition to that, so beyond just funding the explicit state media, the government can then bail out or fund supposed or so-called private media, which really just means that they're government media in disguise. And so that is the second side, which I see is almost more pernicious than censorship, because people can find ways around censorship. But if you have huge funding of me- media that has been hijacked for progressive or status it's hard for private entrepreneurs to compete with that. It's a bit like right now, the best small private colleges or universities are struggling to survive. Meanwhile, monstrous state schools are growing and just because they have the funding they're, they're crowding out or out competing the independent institutions.
0: Wow. I didn't know that. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. Um, so true about the state media giants crowding out the independent, the independent well, ones.
1: Pe- people forget, for example, that the when these bro- the broadcasting Broadcasting Board of Governors when these U.S. media outlets and there are about a dozen of them, I, I lose track that are funded by the federal government began they were never supposed to submit, put any content for Americans to consume because that would be unconstitutional. And for example, under Reagan, there was what's called Radio Marti or this, this radio production, which, is to, which was to send content to Cuba to oppose Castro's dictatorship. Well, of course, it's just another boondoggle. They spend, I think, 30 or $40 million a year. Nobody listens to them. Nobody watches them. It's just a huge waste of money. And of course, nowadays with the internet, who can, Cubans can hardly get it. It's blocked there as far hmm. as I know. So it's really just Americans or people around the world who might watch them. It's just another waste of time. So people have forgotten that the constitutionality of state-sponsored media from the U.S., I mean, it's just there is no constitutional basis for it, but it's there. Like I said, it's about a about billion dollars per year that gets spent by the federal wow. government on media initiatives.
0: Wow. Kind of sobering. On a happier note, let's end on a happier <laughs> <laughs> note, and that is, if you had a message for Americans today, especially American young people, our rising generation, what would it be, Fergus?
1: Sure, and I, I did think about this question. I would encourage Americans, those who are the remnant or who care about this country and what she stands for, to see the country less as an idea and more as a community, a precious and unique community in the world that upholds these values and seek to protect that. And as I said, in, in my article, I mentioned gun rights, free speech, homeschooling, all things that must be both exercised and advocated for to preserve that community. And I, I don't expect, I, I wouldn't, Necessarily spend all my time trying to preach this to the rest of the world, but rather protect it here where there still is a su- mm. sufficient remnant to actually hold on to it.
0: I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Fergus, where can people find you if they want to follow well,
1: you? Yeah, probably the best place is Twitter, just at Ferg Hodgson. Or you, you can go to my website, which has almost every, you know, it leads you in different directions which is just fergushodgson.com.
0: And that's F-E-R-G-U-S, Hodgson, H-O-D-
1: H-O-D-G-S-O-N, yeah. And you can also follow me on LinkedIn if you want a more professional uh, engagement.
0: Awesome. Fergus, thank you for being on Ask an Immigrant. It's been a delight.
1: Thank you for hosting me. It's a a real privilege, and I, I appreciate the time.
0: Oh, thank you. Well, everyone else who is listening, if you or someone you know is an immigrant to America and would like to be on the Ask an Immigrant show to have your story um, heard and recorded and preserved, um, then you can contact me at Lydia at LovingLiberty.net. That's L-Y-D-I-A at LovingLiberty.net. Thank you for joining me and Fergus today. Now go forth and stand up for liberty in your life.